So we have to define how the world should look like, which we want to come out of this transformation period. Mm. I uh, respect uh, China's achievements, which are tremendous over the last uh, over 40 years. I think it's um, a role model for many countries, but I think also uh, we should leave it to each country uh, to make its own decision what system it wants to adapt. And I think we should be very careful in imposing systems. But the Chinese model is certainly a very attractive model for quite a number of countries. The level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China, um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted, uh, that I find quite interesting. Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson, writing teacher Jessica, and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. We're online at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find that link to our blog in the episode notes. Um, you can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZPKE on Instagram and Jess's Twitter handle as at jhomey 89 uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Thank you. So today's topic, Andy, uh, you had suggested that maybe we take a look at the China protests, and then this, and thinking about it further, um, um, we had uh, Jess and Kenny was like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it because of what's happening there, and it might be significant given that we have discussed protests in the way that." They should be against the state when you're being locked down and especially when you're using the narrative in order to achieve some political power and to abuse that power. No, So uh, if you can just give us a recap of what like or some summary of what's been going on and then we can take it from there. Yeah. Um, so first off, I've tried to write down the names of the various provinces and you know, I mean, Beijing and Shanghai, I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay with saying, but I'm really, unfortunately, not going to try to, like, pronounce other names of other provinces where I've heard that protests are going on. Merely to say, though, that um, in some ways, one of the significant things about these protests um, that, uh, you know, there were these big protests in Hong Kong prior to the 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 first lockdowns that China did. And in my opinion, those Hong Kong protests were in part what inspired China to go so dramatic in its COVID policies in the same way that I could see the French government taking on the yellow vests using these COVID lockdowns. But what I would say is one, one major thing is that these protests that have taken place in response to zero COVID policy of China um, are, are very are much broader, are taking place in multiple provinces um, in small towns as well as big cities. Um, and, um, the other thing I'd say about it is, is first off, that the Chinese working class is no stranger to struggle, actually. I mean, 
people have this notion that people in China are all cowed. And that's definitely not true. It's definitely not true on the countryside. You can certainly hear stories in the past years where the Chinese government has had to face a lot of resistance to the kinds of changes that are taking place in their economy, which are sort of like what took place in the beginning of capitalism in Europe, where more and more uh, work opportunities are being forced into the city. And in many ways, the possibilities of people having their own land has, is being more and more restricted in China, that kind of the enclosure process that was taking place in Britain. So a process like that is taking place in China, and it has met with a, a pretty stiff resistance in the countryside of, of China, although the Chinese ruling class has made progress on that. Secondly, the level of strikes in, in the cities um, are much higher in China than they are in the United States. And that was true in the last 10 to 20 years. Uh, now, the United States is a historic low, but if you think in the United States that we have, like we do have a legacy of, of resistance in our, within our work and our working class, but if people in the United States saying, well, if people in China don't fight back, uh, when you're pointing the finger at China, three pink fingers are pointing back at us. We are the ones right now who have lost any connection to our legacy of struggle. China, the Chinese working class has actually put forward much more resistance, even in its in the cities in response to certain acts of corporations and things like that. Now, what's significant, though, is you won't see much in China, or at least I haven't heard much in relationship to taking on issues like state issues and political issues of that sort. Um, and so that's what's significant to, the, uh, to me about these things. And also, um, it's important to remember that this is not just like only a few months ago, there were massive demonstrations in specific provinces in response to bank um, malfeasance that was taking place in China. As well as just before this, there was the Foxconn stuff going on where Foxconn was telling its workers we're not going to, well, basically that they weren't locking down enough in COVID. And so that some workers left, left. And then when they hired new workers, those workers weren't going to get work getting paid what they were told. And so there were pretty big pitch battles between Foxconn and those workers. And so all this stuff is sort of going on. And some of the pictures you've seen have not actually been COVID zero policies but have been pictures of people fighting cops or like fighting security, somebody uh, in these big hazmats over some of the Foxconn stuff. And that's not actually in relationship to COVID zero. Um, but nevertheless, I think what's taking place there is significant. Of course, for me, the idea that the working class is an international class, uh, we've talked, all of us have talked about how we believe in open borders and when workers struggle against their state in one area, it helps us in all areas. Um, and so I believe it's significant. And we can talk also then about how much the U.S. is trying to get a hand in, things like that. That might be part of our discussion. Um, so the, also, I want to say that the initial detonator for this was the the fact, or at least I was told or I've heard it's the fact that there was a fire in one of the provinces in relationship to um, COVID lockdown policies where they were, where they were penned in the place like what happened like, very famously in this country in a textile uh, textile mill in the, in the 20s where workers were locked in and they many people kind of burned to death because they couldn't get out and fire folks couldn't get to them. Um, and so that, I don't know if that story is entirely true. I've heard other accounts of that, but that seems to be, to be the detonator for a broad set of, of response to people saying, you're... There's too much quarantine camps. There's too much testing. It's like daily testing, massive quarantine camps. I can show you some video on some of that stuff. Um, I mean, the level of control of China 
is, well, I believe makes the U.S. ruling class salivate and it makes them jealous. Uh, I'm pretty sure they hope on doing the same. Um, I think some would say that there's a united plan by the U.S. ruling class and Chinese ruling class. Again, that's not my view. But what the Chinese ruling class is doing in China is def has definitely gotten a response from the US, uh, Chinese workers. It should be welcomed. Um, I think to the extent that they push have, have pushed back, I think it is causing China to pause. I also think that Chinese, the Chinese ruling class pause will give them, looks like breathing time to figure out how they're going to come back around and crack down. I'm pretty convinced of that. Um, but nevertheless, when workers protest anywhere and fight back against their state, it should be supported by workers everywhere. Um, and that's kind of my first statement about this. Um, I want to add something. So this year, this year we've seen video footage of drones in Shanghai going hovering over people's uh, edifices and talking about, and I have it quoted here, which is very scary, you know, the things that it's saying, it's um, telling people to stop singing because they were on their balcony singing, of course, it's the topic of isolation and saying things like, here, here, gonna, we're going to include a clip of it here. By talking about stay inside and to comply and to curb your soul's desire for freedom. I mean, we, this is something we brought up in one of the episodes before, but it's it is it is really bad, and this is why I think that people are getting sick of it and they're being they're fighting against this this protest. Uh, they're fighting against this lockdown confinement. Sorry, I just wanted to add that that it's like <laughs> so much of it's been very draconian. Here's stuff I found. Um, this was from Redacted. I, they had some videos that they showed. So these are some these are camps that they were showing that have been constructed. They're like totally cookie cutter camps that over and over and over again, the same thing. This is just looking inside of one of the camps. Um, and then they're going to show an outer view. Like this is these camps and they're, they're continuing to construct them. Um, so this just shows the scope of these quarantine camps that are being built. From what I hear, they are actually more being used on the countryside than within the cities, although they are being used somewhat in the cities, but people in the countryside are being herded more into these than the cities. So this this is showing um, just one dude basically hurting all these people. And all these people have like luggage. I mean, this looks to me like the Japanese internment kind of stuff. It looks to me like a, like a large mass of people being interned. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Um, and it's pretty chilling. And and it I just think people should look at this not as like, oh, what's happening in China? It's happened in Australia. It's happened in Canada. Um, and it's being talked about in the United States. So, um, so Andy, do we know, I'm not familiar with this website, but these are people being herded into a quarantine camp for COVID. Yeah. Okay. And they, they supposedly have to pay 
like to, to, to go there. Oh, and so I wanted to show Not you these drugs. Because they've oh. tested positive or just Yes, because they test positive. Okay. They test positive. It's not contact tracing there. These are, I, from what I hear, these are people that test positive. Now, people test daily in China. Like, every day they test. Um, and they show they show some in, the stuff on, like, their QR code. I had that. So, you test daily. And then, if your phone says red, like it says here, then pretty much anywhere you want to go, it's going to say, nah, you can't go. And that's the situation for sure in the city. I don't know how much it's true in the countryside. I mean, how much it's spread there in the countryside. But this was really crazy to me. The other thing, which not just drones, here's, I'll just guess I'll finish this whole thing. These are drones spraying cities in the, like, supposedly in, re in relationship to COVID. And they're just spraying the cities. Like, you can see spray coming out of them. Um, and I want to show you one more other drone. Um, Thing, which I thought found really crazy. It'll be coming up in a second. So this one, this is a drone where if you, you got to scan your QR code from your car to be able to advance. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be able to get your, your, your phone to let you get past that drone, which is holding up a QR code. If you can't do that, then you got you you get flagged for going beyond a point. It's not like your car gets stopped. That will be another day when we are working through phones, like when we have the whatever, the internet of things really fully connected. They could literally force your car to stop and turn your car off. Um, but at the very least, they have something which says, We we here's a drone holding up a QR code. Make sure your phone lets you get through this. And again, all these things. Are not, I don't show, or we should not just think of this as China. We should think of this as foreshadowing for our future. Right. And this is a discussion I've had with uh, a family member of mine uh, this August when I was in Mexico. And I was at a, at a uh, centro comercial, at a mall, and there was a rest. There was like they were selling crepes and all this, and I was asking for the menu. And then there was a QR code and I asked for the physical menu and my uncle was like, why are you always being so difficult? Why is it like you are like, why can't you just get on with the program? <laughs> Hold on, get on with the program. <laughs> um, do you know what that means? Or what are you saying? It's like, why can't you just, why is everything a challenge, Eduardo? Why is, why is this so difficult for like these workers, they don't have any fault. Like you making it so difficult for them, for them to find this menu, for them to read out loud from their phone what they have, because you don't want to scan this. And you're, and he's like, why don't you just scan it? And I say, the thing is, I, it's like, I don't want to contribute to more. I know that I already have a digital footprint, but I'm just trying to resist in the areas and pockets of areas. Like, for example, we shouldn't allow for us as customers to give into these QR codes at every restaurant, at every place that we go to. And he is just like, we had this on, we had this back and forth. You're showing this QR code above vehicles. It's like to normalize the QR code at a restaurant is that's the way that's, this is the next, this is the next step, right? It's like you go from menu to entrance to suddenly being stopped in the car and then it's going to be everywhere like if we normalize it everywhere 
So I understand that my uncle that may not have the, that his intentions aren't trying to get us all set up into this virtual space, but it's beyond that, right? Like we have to be able to, th we have to think about where is this leading to, especially with what you just showed us in that video. <sighs> yeah, story of my life. Just do it. Just wear the mask. Just, what's the big yeah. deal? Just yeah. you are good. <laughs> and here's what they will say when it happens. They'll say, well, we already do our QR code at the restaurant. What's the big deal if you, you know, that's how they do it. First, they tell you don't complain about the restaurant. And then when you complain about the one, that, uh, the QR code that's stopping you on the highway, it's like, well, how different is it from the restaurant that lets you in? Like, they've already, like, it's a. I just heard that exact argument in a meeting, like at my university, where like people were actually, oh my God, bringing up um like student security in terms of data and like the person leading the meeting was like they kind of got frustrated after a couple of minutes of pushback and literally went and like grabbed his phone and was like you know we're all like selling our stuff like it's just so frustrating I wanted to say too though I like I don't know I I just have a really hard time especially with chi like China in particular figuring out what media coverage or just independent journalism or whatever, like what's real and what's not and what's real, but like out of context. I just, you know, I mean, basically since going all the way back to the beginning of this whole, you know, alleged pandemic and those bizarre videos of people falling down in the street, it just feels like there's so much mystery and performative weird stuff and I don't trust anybody on the left right or in between in this country to to cover anything but China in particularly like without in particular without an agenda and so like I, I don't know like and you were like oh like read whatever for this for this episode and I don't really feel like independent media has been covering the Chinese protests a whole lot. Maybe that's just like the people I follow a little bit, but um, not that much. And it's one of those things where like, I don't know of journalists on the ground because obviously over there, and this is part of what makes the protest so um, impressive is that it is, it is a huge risk to protest in that country. I mean, I was just, I was asking my partner's kind of opinion or like perspective because he lived in China for a few years. Um, you know, and I was like, like, what, like, what do you think? Like what realistically happens? Like if you walk into the street and you, you know, you say down with the CCP or something and he's like, you could, you could get shot. Like you can straight up get shot. Like that is the reality. Um, at least according to some people. Um, so it's a big deal. I mean, they're they're the people who are, have been protesting are taking on a lot more risk than those of us who are protesting in the United States. And we were, you know, pretty pitiful, honestly, as a on the whole, you know, in terms of numbers and active resistance protest wise. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I I. I don't doubt, like, obviously all the QR stuff, like, China is a leader in, you know, I mean, they're they're overtly, you know, saying, yes, we are going to be a leader in this fourth industrial revolution, QR codes and, 
you know, um, testing in the medical field and all, you know, all of it, all of it for sure. Um, another aspect I just wanted to bring into it is the U S media response, which like, I'm not talking about independent journalism, which like I said, I don't really feel like it, there's been a ton of coverage, but mainstream media in the U S has been largely, uh, supportive like i've seen these articles about yeah young young chinese people like fighting for their freedom and like has china gone too far with these lockdowns you know as if people burning alive inside their fucking buildings locked in is not (laughs) it's like okay but yeah i mean that's just been really gross to watch um and it's yeah i mean of course like China bad guy, right? Um, as if the U.S. didn't lock down their people or shut down their schools or tell people to effectively like just shut themselves inside their homes for two to three years. Um, and they're starting to do it again. I mean, I I told you guys earlier today, like Oregon just declared another state of emergency for you know public health yesterday. So crazy. Um. Well, maybe I'll leave it there. I have a couple more thoughts, but I just Can, oh. I, I just wanted to follow on that, or, or I shared that cautious approach that you have, Jessica, because obviously um, the stories that we hear here are so, you know, it's hard to get, um, you know, uh, a confirmation, right? What's going on on the ground? We don't know people there personally, you know. When my first kind of like jump into organizing like more like in depth was Nicaragua you know when shit was going down in Nicaragua and I had people there that I could talk about you know what was going on and and even then you know the facts were hard to really put together you know because there there is exaggeration on both sides you know and um you know but but at the same time you know it, it, it's uh, the U.S. coverage, you know, it, it's like, oh, pointing the finger like they did with North Korea, with Cuba, with Venezuela. Look, this could be like that, you know, like we're not as bad as those people. And, you know, um, and now people are, uh, you know, this communist country, you know, people are standing up for their freedom. That's that's basically the narrative that I'm I'm, I'm hearing now. And, and the scary part is actually, to me, not that you know, what China is doing, because, you know, they're, they're doing their own version of shit. It's the fact that here, by and large, we don't realize the same shit has happened to us. It's happening to us, you know, and, and in fact, we're not fighting back because we're not aware that we have an enemy here. You know, it's for our own good, you know, because like, just like in Nicaragua, people fucking knew that the, that the elections were rigged every fucking year. So most people didn't vote and the, you know, the, the, the same government won. You know, and everyone knew that the dead would vote. I was fucking asked to vote, even though I was not a citizen of the country, you know, like casually. And so they, everyone knew the elections were a joke. And when push came to shove, fucking people rose up, and, you know, and tried to get a, this government now. And so now this government is ruling by pure force. But that's when the veil of deceit is, is, is you know, it's like uncovered. But we're not even close to that in this country. You know, like, because the narrative, again, is that China went too far. Like, and yes, some people are reconsidering what the fuck happened here, but that they're going far. And and it's almost automatic that people assume that China is the worst case. You know, and like, and also, I think it's a mistake to think that we're going to head 
to what's happening in China this, on the same road. Because I think that's a big mistake. Like we're we're gonna we're get it, we're gonna head there because the interests that are pushing for this world order, the, this way of data mining, this way of social control, are the, are the same interests. Whether but China's just doing it differently than we are, and and I think it's more insidious for us because we don't even know. You know, it's like like you said, out of convenience. I was a person who created the QR codes for my restaurant when the fucking pandemic happened. Before I knew all this, you know, and it takes a lot to learn all this. You know, you can tell some people, but you sound, we sound crazy now, you know, because for most people, it's just convenience, right? Going to school online, it's just convenient now. You know, there's not a lot of resistance because at least a lot of people that I know want to go to school online because it's convenient. I mean, you know, because other parts of their lives are shit. And so they think this is a solution when in fact it's not. We know that. But it is, that's the worst part. It's out of convenience that is being shoved into our face in some ways, right? There's also like, there is some mandates. There's some people that oppose this shit. But by and large, I, I, don't, I don't think we're even close to being aware, you know, of the, the massive repercussions that it has. And I think, in fact, thinking of China as the, like the worst case, it's actually a distraction, um, you know, and like, I guess we can go more into that. But to me, you know, just falling into that trap that China is the worst case, and look, this is how it could be, leads us to accept shit that doesn't look as bad. Um, so I, I'm not sure I understand what both of you were saying in terms of focusing on China as like to me, it's very important to, to focus on China as what as where it's going because the ruling classes, the capitalist class, copies off each other. That's that's. That's what they do. Like that's what they do in their business, and that's what they do politically. And that's, in my opinion, that's what they've done in regards to COVID. Like when when someone's got something, when somebody's figured something out, then everyone else tries to catch up with those efficiencies. Those are generally economic efficiencies and technologies that are copied, but they are also copy political trends. Just like Germany today uh, had a big article about how the there was a coup by the right wing to take down their government. That looks very much like a January 6th story to try to prop up their government. Like, where did they get that from? They got it from our government just last two years. Secondly, I want to parse out mainstream media versus so-called independent media, because I do think there's a difference. And what mainstream media in the United States' first response to this was silence. The reason there was silence, it took them, we're, we're two weeks late to this party, folks, like two and a half weeks. The first thing mainstream media said was nothing. And the reason that was is because the Democratic Party said nothing and the Republican Party said nothing. It took the ruling class in this country about a week to figure out what to say. And Anthony Blinken just came out and said it, the, ver the condensed version, which is what Trudeau is saying and things like that, which is, oh, of course, we support people's right to speech. We, you know, that's not good what they're doing. But he also said, um, we're not what we can't really speak to ch what China's doing, you know. Uh, we just, we, we, he said, we just hope that we want China to get COVID right. Now, why is he saying that? He's saying that because he knows that, that that they have every intention of having to exert the same control on their working class that they, they see China doing in there. So they don't feel completely comfortable saying, hey, oppose this at all costs in the way that they have full-throated lying and support of everything Ukraine is doing compared to Russia, right? Here, when it has to do with the China cracking down on its own people, they want to be a little bit more reserved. All right. And it has nothing to do with, in my opinion, with the fact that 
they don't understand that China is their main political enemy. I believe if when we get to that defense strategy document, we're going to see that all roads in the terms of the competition, in my opinion, are about U.S. and China, and they understand that, and that Russia is actually a bit player in that global competition. Um, so the mainstream media's first response and, and general response has been, wait a second, like when, when left people or liberal people have come out and been uh, supportive of some of the demonstrations, they people have been attacked or at least been criticized for saying, hey, wait a second, you know, China needs to be able to do something to keep people safe. And the reason people are saying that is because that's that's what the left and the liberal media has been saying. So they they were they were struggling to find their voice in relationship to policies that they that we ourselves largely followed. Um, and now they're trying they to waiting to see what the Chinese government did. Like, if no, they they're did. waiting to see what the Democratic Party is going to say. They're waiting for Joe Biden because Joe Biden wasn't saying anything. So they and Joe Biden wasn't saying anything because the U.S. hadn't figured out what they were going to say. It took a while. Like the, the our media is a is a mouthpiece of the, the the security state, so it took a while for the U.S. capitalist class to figure out what exactly to say about this. Uh, and I do believe now they've they are now got their fingers more in and and now have operatives trying to figure out how they can put pressure on it to make the Chinese to to to, to give problems to the Chinese ruling class. But at the same time, they don't want this. To, I personally don't think they want this to go too far because. They don't want anybody getting the wrong idea that this is the kind of opposition we should have in this country. And if you look and you listen to what on the Republican side and the Democratic side, and again, Anthony Blinken said it three days ago, very reserved criticism, very mild criticism, and mostly just saying, we want China to get COVID right. It's better for the entire world if they get COVID right. And that means he's accepting quarantine camps. He's accepting QR codes. He's accepting daily contact tracing and daily PCR tests, which have been pulled back slightly from daily to now weekly or bi-weekly or something like that. So I, I think that I take my lead, not for, and I agree with you, Jessica, it, it's hard to know exactly what's going on, but part of my read on why I felt like this was significant was to see how um, much hand-wringing there was or how much hesitancy there was on the part of our own ruling class to, to say anything. And Trudeau, you know, he kind of finally came out and said, and it was obvious that then he had to kind of say, well, why is it okay for the Chinese to protest, the Chinese people to protest? And why did you have to smash the Canadian truckers? He got a few of those questions and he tried to say, well, that was different. That was actually stopping the government. Those folks aren't trying to stop the government, which I kind of agree with him on that. Any response to that? So I... I guess the point I'm trying to make is that um, I no doubt, you know, agree that we those technologies, those methods are coming our way. But I think that by feeding this notion that China, the Chinese state, right, is is it's more evil, you know. That notion in itself, it, 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 like we're getting to that same place, but through quote unquote free enterprise. That that we know it's an illusion, right? We know that Elon Musk is deep with the fucking state. We know that YouTube is deep with the state. Facebook is deep with the US state. You know, and they're and I agree. This part of this competition. My problem is that when that when it's out of context that you know just just feeding that narrative that china is more evil that's the part that i think is very like 
dangerous and it actually is counterproductive in understanding our own situation here. That, you know, it's not that we're heading there, absolutely, you know, but it's, it's not even going to look exactly the same. I don't think it will. I think it, it, it will have its, its own forms, even though like the, the exact same mechanisms are behind it. You know, we, you know, I think people will react if, if the U.S. state just tried to impose more QR codes. Like there was some sort of resistance, actually. But it's coming along not because of the state imposition, but because of private enterprise, like my restaurant and me thinking that that was convenient. I don't know if I'm making a distinction there, but to me, there's a difference between, you know, like this narrative that is the Chinese state versus the, our state is not involved here. And Jessica, is it all right if I just respond to one part to clarify what I'm trying to say? Um, so I'm not saying that the Chinese ruling class is more evil. I'm saying that it's playing a better game at capitalism than the U.S. ruling class. And I'm talking, and so what I'm saying is they're doing capitalism better than our ruling class, and our ruling class knows it. And so we have, in the same way that Europe had to follow the U.S. ruling class, the Americanization, the American model being imposed by the European ruling class in Europe over the last 30 years was largely the European ruling class knowing that they're getting their lunch eaten by the U.S. capitalists, so they have to figure out how to smash their workers here. That That is what is happening in China. China is winning. China China's not evil. China is winning. They're doing a better job smashing their workers. They've advanced more in the data collection. They've advanced more in QR codes. They've advanced more in the restrictions and geofencing. And so because of that, they are in a better position to compete globally, to uh, gobble up all the resources. The U.S. ruling class knows that. That's what I'm saying. And so we have to understand that that's the, the competition is to see who can get better at that. So it is a race to the, it's a race to the top for them, but it's a race to the bottom for us. And that to me is like, that is a conversation, you know, like, and again, because this is the framework of understanding the world through competition, right? And like, these are not friends, these are, you know, and, and, and that's, this is where the answer I would have with someone who thinks that these people are colluding, right? Or they're like planning together is not, they're, they are heading towards the same goal because they want, you know, they have the same goal, you know, they have the goal of winning, you know, and, and so it will look different, at least in my eyes, it will look different, but, but towards the same goal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess all I was trying to say, and I, I get that you're not arguing that China's like worse. And we, all, I feel like we always preach on here, like, you know, take care of your own government first before criticizing someone else's, which I stand by that for sure. Um, especially when you really can't even 100% figure out like what's going on. But I mean, I... Yeah, I, I hear you just going back to the media response thing that it took them a minute. And it, like the U.S. media response of sort of very temperately being like, yeah, like go protest it, like go Chinese protesters, like woo, freedom of speech. Like it's not like they were going out on a limb doing that. Like as brave as I think these Chinese protesters are, I don't think this is like the revolution. I don't think that they're going to, you know, they, I mean, they have succeeded, I guess you could argue, because I do believe in the past week or so, China has pulled back a little bit on some of those policies, the zero lock or the zero 
zero COVID. That's what it's called, right? Zero COVID. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't think, you know, don't kid, don't kid yourself. Like the, the whole project is going ahead full steam. And I agree. Like it's a race to the top who can win. Um, I guess all I was trying to highlight by sort of talking about skepticism with skepticism with regard to especially like video footage coming out like that. I don't know that video with all the people in the suitcases and stuff being like herded. Like, I mean, my immediate reaction is like, Oh my God, horrific. Right. Like, but I just, I don't know. I mean, I think some of those videos are, they feed whether or not they're real either way, they feed straight into a Western narrative that makes the U S policy look middle of the road and temperate and like, and yeah, like, Oh, well, yeah, it's bad Eduardo that you have to ask for a physical menu, but like, come on, compare that to like what's going on in China. Um, and I just, I see that so frequently, like in the sort of media space and it just, to me, it's it's very detrimental to focus and strategy and and even thinking about this is kind of going a different direction, so interrupt me if I don't know if people have responses and stuff, but um just thinking about strategy, strategies of resistance in general and protest being only one form of resistance to the state. Um, and I'm even thinking about what you said at the beginning, Andy, about, um, like rural areas, you know, and, and that's, I mean, obviously from like a personal angle, that's been a theme I've been thinking about a lot over the past year and thinking about the different resistance movements that we've seen, the Indian farmers, right. Um, multiple occasions the past couple of years of like in association with anti- lockdown protests but also yellow vest movements right like french farmers coming into the cities from the countryside and literally like dumping animal shit right on government buildings amazing love it um you know and just thinking about forms of resistance and how important those rural areas are because you usually do see the big protests and the the sort of like mass mobilizations in the cities but when we think about who's growing the food, who's raising the livestock, uh, who's creating medicine, like real medicine, plant medicine, right? Like those are other forms of power. Um, and I'm like, I'm thinking about, um, what's happening in the Netherlands right now, you know, in comparison where you have the government coming down hard on farmers, on small farmers, right. Um, which is like a totally different, it's a different form of state violence, right? As opposed to like locking people in their home under the guise of a public health measure. But when we think about like sort of what that says about who has power and then like how effective are these protests really being, right? And like what, like whether it's a distraction or like what, what does it do for us in terms of, feeding or like shepherding let's say in our case americans right into a sort of mode of resistance where we're like yeah look at all those like chinese people protesting their horrible communist government right like we should go do the same and it's only a matter of years before like the 
the drones come for us. Like you're saying, right? Like the, it's not, it's not different. Um, so I don't know, like, I don't really have a, like an argument here that I'm building to, but it's just, it's just making me think about like the forms of resistance and which ones are authentic and which ones are more like really more powerful in terms of fighting this thing. Cause I feel like we're losing thus far. Like we're losing. You're on mute, Andy. Oh, sorry. I agree. And I think the Chinese workers are losing as well. They made a push, but uh, there's, there's many pieces of evidence that tell me that, that the Chinese ruling class is going to re, 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 remove, reduce some restrictions and come back in a new way. And the biggest thing that tells me that they, these are not significant, these are not demonstrations that are going to truly challenge us how much people are masked. Like, I just don't think any demonstrations that show up with people on with masks has already basically people have decided I'm subservient to the state that I'm opposing. And if you take that position, you're not a threat. And just one other thing is I agree with you. Like, I understand how those the, the optics of watching really up, hundreds of people being shepherded into a quarantine camp might seem so sheepish. But let's be clear. Hundreds of thousands of people in the United States were shepherded into vaccination centers. Were shepherd were and tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands, were were kicked out of their jobs. And they they took it they took it pretty much pretty easy. And we're not I'm not talking about people who basically agreed to the vax. I'm talking about people who didn't agree to it, but ultimately, well, I can't, I have to do it, you know? And so we all, everyone has been shepherded with carrying luggage or not into going along with what's been done. And particularly here in the United States. I mean, Kenny certainly has told story after story of people who said, I don't want to do it, but it seems like I got to if I'm going to keep my job. Da, 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 da. So that's one form of people carrying their luggage going into the camp. And then there's the other folks who basically, you know, like myself, ultimately, where I was not able to be part of a rally to push back against those things. And I'm like, I'm out. Bye. Going to go. You know, uh, we all ba basically had to carry our luggage somewhere. We didn't put up a fight. And I think what you're saying is the important part here, <laughs> you know, to, to to show like the parallels, right? Like, that's what I mean, that it doesn't look the same, but, you know, we're, we are caught in the game, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and, and they, they, they have to do things to win, to play that game, you know, and the name of the game right now is data mining. The name of the game right now is compliance. The name of the game, you know, is technology. The name of the game is, is, you know, like, it's all that, you know, like it's ultimately to me, like the, my frame of mind is they're capitalists, they're the better, you know, this is why I disagree with most, a lot of leftists who defend China, you know, and I still caught in this, you know, COVID narrative, you know, like one of the questions I ask myself is what, you know, um, is China, you know, because in the past, the, the US or, you know, has been very good at pushing any sort of revolutionary attempts uh, on their heels. And so, for example, Nicaragua, right? When Nicaragua's revolution happened, the U.S. forced them to spend money, to steer money away from the social projects and put the money into the defense, you know? So I, I asked myself, is China afraid? Is that why they're pushing this COVID thing? You know, and, and, what, and I'm wondering, what the hell are they afraid of? You know, like, of course, they, the, the U.S., you know, is, is the big bully. Um, but... 
it, it, it's just doesn't add up. Everything leads back to, you know, the COVID narrative being useful for, you know, again, hurting people and, and, and creating this mass level of compliance. And anyone who thinks that the Chinese are more compliant than we are is fucking kidding themselves because, you know, like you just, you just spoke to it, you know, like to this day, there's still people, you know, just caught in this psychosis, you know, that, that was created through the narratives, um, you know, and by the same token, if you think that the Germans were crazy and stupid, you're you're crazy and stupid because you don't realize how we were brainwashed. Just like you know, the people that have done horrible shit, and and, and I think that's where the important part, you know, to show these parallels, you know, to to uh, to steer away from this simple narrative that China is just really bad, you know. And, and, and like you know, but it's like to to depict to show how it is that no, we're we're doing a similar shit, you know, and we're heading in a similar direction for the same goal. And for example, like to bring back the robots, the drones. Fucking San Francisco is having discussions right now. I was just going there. These good robots. It's not the discussion's over. They voted on it. I didn't even know. So what what happened? They voted overwhelmingly to support well eduardo you haven't spoken maybe you can say something about what what happened in San yeah Francisco. well you know here we are talking about andy it's, it's, in one of the episodes in the past you had showed us in new york they had a robo dog right then we see the robo dog being used in china and people are criticizing for it and then we have san francisco the sfpd is actually does they do have robots but it became such a controversial thing where i'm at here in san francisco that the supervisors had to put a break on it however that break as i is uh, for using robots for the elite force they even though they put a break on it 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 it's still being sent the issue is being sent back to a committee for further discussion and could allow uh, for it in limited cases in another time. So it's not completely eradicated. It's not completely going to go away in San Francisco. This was being done by SFPD, but then because of the backlash, they had to stop it. They put a break, <clears throat> put a break on it. So it's still there. Uh, and they do have, I think, like 12 robots or something um, where they still have them not being in use, but they still have them for when they're ready to be using, when they're ready to go and use them. Uh, I I think for me the 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 most interesting thing about this conversation as we're talking is if you just do a search on a search engine about uh, COVID and the the Chinese um, uh, in the, how the Chinese were uh, praised during 2020, you'll see many many articles on. Nature Magazine. I have it here uh, from CNN, from Nature Magazine, from Science.org, from the Washington Post. Just it's I can see them here. They're saying government response to COVID-19 praised by the WHO. Uh, what the what the uh, coronavirus response can teach us and from what China's coronavirus response can teach us, can teach the rest of the world. Uh, China's aggressive measures have slowed the coronavirus. Uh, what 25 days changed the world. How it's like praise after praise. Who this is 2020. Everyone's praising, and sudden this is mostly the left. I even have people, friends, or I don't know if we're friends or not because they don't talk to me. 
I have people that I know who are part of the uh, party uh, for socialism. And these are other socialists, your fellow peeps over there. This is what happens with socialists. Uh, the newspaper for, of the party of, for socialism and liberation, this is saying that China's response to the global pandemic, right? Quote, unquote, Jeff, there you go, those quotes. Uh, the global pandemic is being praised by the socialist of the party party for socialism and liberation and you, professor richard wolf which i kenny and i we've mentioned him in an episode before discusses how china has succeeded and the usa failed to beat covid if we look further i'm looking here at liberation news every criticism that is being targeted towards china which i'm it, I do think it's unfair because it's not just China. It was also New Zealand, by the way, that had and Australia that had very strict lockdowns and all the attention and attacks are going to China. I mean, Jess had mentioned it in Aust about Australia. Italy too. Italy was very tough on this stuff. Right. But I think the most military force that I saw from like the most northern western countries, I thought was, correct me if I'm wrong, from Australia, right? If I mean, those were I just saw the footage and that was amazing. So here, Liberation News, uh, they're saying here that uh, we should look at China as the most as the most successful in beating COVID. And they say here everything that they did. So they said no country has enough equipment supplies to meet the major pandemic to contain. Yet China, once it was clear how serious the crisis was, China acted immediately. China used a centralized database, as if that's good. And they called to the population as a whole to quickly isolate, identify, sequence, and take public action following the international public health epidemic guidelines. This is the praise that they were being given. Suddenly, protests are happening. And then all of a sudden, the left is like, oh, yeah, we should be supporting them. You supported the lockdowns when they happened. I don't understand you. Are you for it or are you against it? Suddenly, you were so supportive and praising them for the longest time. Science, nature.org is saying what China can teach us. And suddenly you're saying the reverse. Who understands these people? So that's what I wanted to share. Now going to this robot thing. So, so then the drones are being used over there. And it's like, oh, well, that's what China's doing over there. Here in SF, as Kenny brought up, we're, being, we're, we're considering having drones, uh, robo, robots using lethal force in the USA, in this country, in SF, where I'm currently living at, where both of you abandoned me. So here we are having the discussion, criticizing China, and that's fine. But we should also be criticizing this country. And that's what I'm really concerned about. And Alison mentioned it in one of her episodes. So I, um, I hope that this message, this olive leaf gets over there, and our message gets to Alison, that she should come here and discuss that because she discussed it in one of her episodes. Well, you're talking about robots, right? And of course, yeah. there's, robots. there's also AI, there's also cameras. You know, like San Francisco, for example, you know, was using, was caught using the footage from those automated cars, you know, that are roaming around the city. San Francisco is infested with those cities. And I'm glad I don't fucking see them anymore. You know, uh, that they can use that footage for criminal cases. You know, guess, guess what? Those Bing cameras that you think that, you know, are keeping you safe, you know, they're recording all your shit, you know, and the shit of your people. 
now for applying to a job, because I've been applying to jobs a lot, they want your fucking social media information. They ask for it right now willingly. But but who's stopping them? Do you read all the fucking, you know, uh, uh, private no- the notices, you know, the... Uh, do you read all that because the, 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 how, you give away your life? Because they might be looking into your fucking social media without you asking. And also, this whole notion of legality and that China is imposing shit. Fuck you, I'm sorry. But, you know, the the this whole uh, register, giving uh, undocumented people licenses, you know, they absolutely use the databases, you know, of the DMV to track people. That, that, and I mentioned this in another episode. That the shit is illegal doesn't mean they don't use it. You know, talk to fucking Edward Snowden, right? And how much data the NSA, they could go into your home. They have people's audios and videos. It's just it's just a matter of someone wanting to look for it. And guess what? AI is going to be very efficient at looking for, for shit. And so, it and it's not even about like from t- today. It's about the shit that you did about five years ago. And, and so this shit will be in your history. Even, even as we speak of the future, this shit is already out there. Like, you know, a lot of our information. Totally agree. But I will say, um, I don't know if you guys saw just the your mention of the DMV. Can you make me think of this? That I saw that the real ID thing has been pushed back again, which I think is kind of interesting. Maybe encouraging. I don't know. Um, I know like when I, because I moved states last year, I had to um, get a new driver's license and they were so pushy when I was like, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. No, thank you. Um, I may have a, a, an answer for that. And where it comes to me is that right now I, I was reading, I read the fin- fucking financial news all the time to see what the hell they're saying. And they're mm-hmm. saying that the recent inflation, it's a problem is because we don't have enough immigrant workers. And, and so that's one element. If immigrant workers are not able to move, then, you know, you can't exploit people. But I'm not that inspired by their really real ID hesitancy because it's like the hesitancy that um, the pushing back uh, of Newsom on uh, pushing back dates for vaccine. You have to do it in schools. I think they keep giving themselves a little bit more space until they can close the whole trap. And that's all they're doing. Like at this point, even when they put out real ID or even when they put out some ID things on the on the on the airports, they still basically keep it open that people can use passports. They recognize they haven't fully built the net yet. And so I just I just feel they're biding their time. So although they don't even I mean, based on my experience this summer, like when I came back into the country, they didn't even ask for my country or for my passport. They just scanned my face. And that was literally it. Oh wow! Wow! Nothing else. No paperwork. No. It, and I just wanted to add that in, again is this whole notion San Francisco illegalized or whatever whatever the fuck made uh, facial uh, recognition, but its airport was one of the first ones to implement that. Yeah. So it's it's rolling rolling ahead. Um, one other thing I don't. I haven't really thought through uh, this, but I was listening to, I can't remember who was playing it, but they were playing a mainstream media link of um, Fareed Zakaria. Uh, What is he like? CNN, I think, or I don't know. They're all the same. One of the, (laughs) one of the mainstream media outlets um, covering the Chinese protests. And one thing, I mean, he was kind of like 
asking this, the same questions we've been bringing up of like, is, you know, is China, have they gone too far? And um, blah, blah, like this faux freedom of speech support. Um, but he brought up the fact, he was like, well, ultimately, China's probably going to be bringing out their own mRNA vaccine, right, in the very near future, because what is it, Sinovac or something, right? Like that, that one's not actually mRNA. And over in the West, right, the mRNA ones have basically won the capitalist battle, right? Like Johnson & Johnson um, was kind of pushed aside at a certain point. Um, and so his, his like ultimate response to the protest was like, well, eventually they're going to bring out their own mRNA. They're going to vaccinate their whole population, which is like, I don't know. I, I, how compliant is their population when it comes to these public health measures? Like, I agree with you, Andy, about like, there is a long history of like actual working class resistance. I think that's painted over a lot of times in coverage. At the same time, it is a culture of masking and WeChat, right? Um, so not saying it's worse than here. It's just everywhere. People are being, being really, really compliant everywhere for the most part. Um, so his argument was basically like, well, they're going to vaccinate all their population and then it's not gonna be a problem, you know, cause if they vaccinate their whole population, then obviously there will be no COVID and it, it's just right back into the fucking public health, um, MRNA technology capitalist battle for who can make the most vaccine and get the most uptake. And I, I'm not saying that that's like the whole. No. Thing, but I, I just think it's telling that that's like that's like where he took it from like yeah like good on you good protesters like well done but like ultimately like the thing that's really going to solve this is a jab yeah and that's that's why I mentioned Anthony Blinken's talking point of we all I, we, we will be critical of China and we want China like we expect China to be more um permissive of protests and things like that and people's free speech. But when Anthony Blinken says we want China to succeed, he's basically recognizing that everyone's got to, like, everyone's got to get vaxxed and we're all doing that to our own population. China actually, I know the Chinese Chinese communist party has complained about the level of vaccination in China, but I think the largest opposition is again on that countryside. Um, and so that's a problem for them. And I do, I, I would agree with Farad, Zakaria, that that's how the Chinese rulers look at it is get everyone into the ball game because getting everyone vaxxed is getting everyone on the QR code and getting everyone with the phone that they can control their motion and they they have a much tighter control in the cities than they do in the countryside and that is a problem for them and and that that is the hope I believe is is the resistance on the in the countryside. Yeah, I just wanted to add really briefly like in those rural areas based on my very limited knowledge but i do have like some some connect like indirect connections you know chinese medicine is still very much practiced especially among some of the older generations like m you know millennial and down like not so much but i think it's interesting and i i don't know how much that has to do with you know those who maybe haven't like in the rural areas how the uptake is not as high um i mean part of that i think is just the nature of cities right like it's the same same pattern here same pattern pretty much everywhere people who are living whether it's like agricultural lifestyles or 
just lifestyles and careers where they're more embodied, you know, um, I guess less disembodied than the people in cities by nature of how they, how their daily lives look. Um, I think that's a big part of it, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about Chinese medicine specifically and like some of the underlying value systems of that culture, which doesn't get focused on when we're talking about like drones and mRNA technology and all that. So Kenny, you said earlier and asked earlier, is the, is the Chinese ruling class afraid? And I think that's probably the, that question kind of crystallized for me, at least one way of looking at some of the differences that exist between, for me, when I talk about the, these two countries, these two nations in competition in a global capitalist system versus other people, like uh, the, the corporate report, I thought did a pretty good take, had a pretty good take on um, the, the protests saying, we support the protests. We probably recognize that to some level, the US is gonna get its fingers in. We, you know, and I felt like it was pretty nuanced in how they talked about the protests in China. But at the end of the day, I think their way of looking at it is that the Ch the Chinese ruling class and the U.S. ruling class are united in playing a game, a good cop, bad cop game on the global international working class. Like that is almost like China has agreed to be this bad cop to allow the rulers in Europe and and the United States to breathe a little more easily as they clamp down on their population. So they see it, they again see this as a, as a, in a framework of collaboration, largely supporting the protests, but also saying that these, you know, that what's happening right here is problem reaction solution um, again. And uh, that's where I, I kind of, again, I disagree. I do think that this is a result of, of that. I do believe the Chinese ruling class is afraid and I think they've had problems in their economy. There's been issues of a housing bubble that I've heard about and banks, you know, being essentially there's run on banks in China. So I think not as all well with the with the Chinese economy. Um, and I and I think that they themselves are concerned about what they're going to have to do to crack down. But that is also true here in the United States. So when we talk about robot dogs or not they're not dogs in this case but when we talk about robots being armed to kill people in san francisco mm -hmm. and them and the board of supervisors agreeing to that that is on the heels of oakland board of supervisors not approving of robots being given loud um live shotgun rounds to shoot at people they didn't approve it yet kind of thing and at the same time britain has um what in the very same breath where they again they're doing their their um, criticisms of the Chinese and their authoritarianism, um, they have passed a set of rules, let me see if I can find it, called the Social Disruption Prevention Orders, which basically say that the Chinese, I mean, the, <laughs> the British government, without any um, basis, can say, if we think you are, your protesting is going to get in our way, we can issue a ban on you on you going to a protest. And if you choose to go to a protest, you can be subject to fine, to prison. Um, you can be put with a 24 seven GPS monitor um, and we can stop and search you without any reasonable cause. Um, and so Britain has passed at the very same time when they were doing all this prime minister swaps, passed a series of laws that basically made it much more easier for the police force to crack down on protests. So all the ruling classes know that they have a hurdle to go over in the coming years as it relates to climate lockdowns or energy lockdowns or 
COVID lockdowns or tri tridemic. What is it? The triple demic. That's what you're facing in in Washington. It's because like RSV, flu, and COVID. They're calling them tridemics. You know, the the uh, all of them are planning on continuing to to control their populations because they're going to be continuing to, to steal from us. Um, so this this is a this 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 plan is global. But I, I would still say it's a competitive one, not a collaborative one. But there are people who I believe are really worth following who see this as process as a, as a global collaborative process. I, I just have a question. What about this? Do you think there's any sort of fear from the Chinese government that, you know, of a chemical or like, you know, uh, uh, like a... Of expecting an attack, I'm just wondering, right? Is there any possibility that you know they are preparing their populations? I'm just being widely conspirational here. Is there any notion that they're they're preparing their populations for future warfare with these vaccines? In in like, is China China paranoid? Is there any sort of do you see any sort of uh, traction to that notion? That China might be paranoid of the West, you know, attacking them, and that's why they're being so, you know, severe in their handling of COVID. You're talking about with the vaccines in particular, like they're trying to. Yeah, so I'm I'm just wondering if there's any like traction to this idea. You know, I, I'm not sure. I'm just wondering, like, if China has any merits to be paranoid on like a a, a, a like a virus warfare type of shit. I would say that both China and the United States and Russia, when they talk about being fearful of another country using biological weapons, they are all saying that with the understanding that they are developing offensive biological weapons. Uh, that's what number one. Number two, um, the U.S. has a super soldier program, super, like super soldier, cyborg soldier 2050, that is predicated on what's already being developed in China and France, actually. So. I, when I think about mRNA technologies, and I think one of the vaccines, so-called, one of these shots that the Chinese is using is not double-stranded, is not mRNA-based, but double-stranded DNA. So it is a gene therapy technology. All of these are with the understanding that they are experimenting on the populations to develop ways to in, to place genes inside of the human genome and and produce outcomes that will make people less subject to pain, less more stronger, uh, you know, all those things that we, we talked about that the U S is trying to do to create super soldiers. They're, they're all basically the U S is complaining that China is ahead of, ahead of them on that. Transhumans basically. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's far more about, I think I get what you're asking, but I think it's more about governments experimenting on their own i mean waging biological warfare really in a way on their own populations yeah. in order you know and there's i think there's a myriad of different goals and potential outcomes there but yeah i i yeah i think the ultimate goal is like creating transhumans as crazy as that sounds the real transhumans <laughs> other transhumans i have something that's related that i'd like to share that i think it's um 
I was looking up something right now about something I could I had I had heard on a podcast that I can't find it right now. So if I find it, I'll share it about how much the push for this confinement and to be at home is to also habituate people to work from home, to work virtually, to get people. But I don't, I don't, I didn't, I couldn't find the, it was a mainstream article. So I, here as I was searching, I, to get, so the connection of all this, right? Like people being at home, this is the kind of stuff that I feel is being pushed onto us more and more of just working virtually, working for more from home, trying to get us to work online. Uh, and that made me think a lot about, I shared with workers and students for choice about how this week I was, I had a meeting with my nephew's teacher and the issue of tech was brought up and it was about um, the use of tech. And I, and I had said, you know, well, what do you, what, what kind of tech is being used? Because I feel like he's coming home and he's talking about apps and we never let him be on apps and he's never on the screen unless it's a certain program, something we have him watch from like old times. Like we have him watch something that's a little bit more of like what we're okay with. But he's not interactive with the screen. Uh, and he's coming home. So what are you doing? And his teacher said that they're using some sites. And I, one of them, one of them, so I don't talk about the whole conference that I had. One of them is Pixton. And Pixton is online, um, the create avatars. And you can start learning and meet your teacher creating these avatars that you could use that it's supposed to enhance, it's supposed to motivate, uh, it's supposed to build literacy. And it's this kind of uh, educational, just uh, all healthy kind of thing that you're supposed to use. It's not, it's, it's safe for students to use, has a privacy student pledge thing. Like everything that you, that a parent, I guess, wants to hear. But, this is using, these are like using avatars that you can use with different genders, different colors of skin, different ways of of creating this avatar that it just is like a push for the, for the future of where we're going to live in, which is the metaverse, you know? So all of these confinements and the pushing for isolation and for us to just basically plug in, that's what this is going to lead to. And these confinements are for that. They, we're just going to be on VR sets and and haptic suits and and that world and training our students from my nephew is seven and training them from this age to learn how to use these avatars. So I'm concerned, right? Like I'm really concerned. And I said, I don't want this to be used. And my brother, Jonathan, uh, he's also like, no, this isn't something we want. Uh, but it, how do we then, and I said, like, the school should be a sanctuary, should be a place, a refuge for not using these, this tech. And, uh, and here we are as a, an educator, I said, like, you're, you're, you're doing what parents are doing and what we, what many, many years ago we used to say before 2020, you know, there's an issue of a lot of tech being used at home and here suddenly that isn't an issue anymore. 
uh, used to be said by the World Health Organization, I remember clearly that it should be limited, young children should be limited less than 40 minutes. And depending on the age, it went lower and lower. And, 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 and suddenly no one discusses that, no one cares about that. So it, it is um, something that's present for me. And as I think about the people who are being confined, what are you supposed to do in China or here, or when you were in Australia and you were locked up, uh, what were you, or in New Zealand or in Italy, where, what were you supposed to do even here in the USA? You get online and you get hooked up and you watch more porn and you get on more apps and you start playing more games and you start creating avatars and you start like, there's just, it's just, it, it's like it's an addiction to, and, and it's only, uh, it's only exasperated by being isolated, right? So this is what I was thinking about. Yeah, I mean, as many people as may have been protesting in China, like I will say, like I asked several of my students who are from China, like, have you heard any, like anything? What's like, what are your families back home saying? Asked my partner who has friends and connections in China. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I heard there were some protests. Like, I, I have to assume the majority of people are plugged in. It's the same as here. Like, a lot of people didn't even know that there was resistance going on. You know, it's like, oh, news to me. Like, I was just working from home. Just same old, same old. It's yeah. hard to know. it's hard to gauge like you know everybody has their sphere and when you are plugged in it's going to be very uh crafted what you can or cannot receive what information you have once we're all yeah but i think we're guilty of that too like and independent media is certainly guilty of that too so it's it can be tricky like yeah to really get a get a real pulse on whether it's here or China or Australia or wherever. Yeah, I I think um, we had picture day at our school um, and students will, were pretty much, I, I don't know, forced, but they, they ultimately all were asked and I think all chose to take, to remove their masks, to take their picture at school. Um, but they were like, it was frightening for them. And they were like very quick to get those masks back on. And it was not because they were worried about COVID running around in the, in the air. Right. They're, the students talk about it now about doing, doing their reveal. Like now students say, when are you going to do your reveal? Like they, that's how they now think of it. So what I see, and I'm going to go back to Jessica's statement of war, the, the war on us. These masks are a, a destruction of the human identity so that, People can will feel prison, imprisoned by this visage and look for freedom in a, another area where they feel like they are free to put on all sorts of pictures of themselves so that freedom feels like avatar because this thing feels like a prison. And that is that is the game here. Um, and it's working, unfortunately. And uh, the avatar is a deeper prison with the feeling of, oh, I can be anyone. I don't have to be afraid of revealing. In fact, I can be more myself in this three-dimensional space and in, on a ones and zeros than, than I am now, particularly when you have facial recognition software, which is going to restrict you from going. So your face your face is going to be your prison because mm -hmm. it's going to be, you're going to, based on what that your face, 
says to the screen, that's going to be whether you do get in or don't get in. And you only get in if you comply. So if your face doesn't comply, then no. So it's uh, the, this, this is a war operation of on our minds and on our freedoms that is happening exactly right now. And it's, it's not just miseducation. It's not just, wait, what are they doing? This is a declaration of war. And we have not understood it as such. And that's why I think the people we've interviewed last week who are doing the schools that were that understand that they're not not just they're not about masking, but they're about getting rid of that tech. Like, and they understand that this project that that is against us is just at the beginning of its attack on us. That is the con when we are talking about our freedom schools, you are going to have to have that level of conception of at least of the understanding of what's what we're facing. I feel like to, to properly begin to construct alternative institutions because a lot of these other freedom schools that are talking about how do we still use tech, it's a trap. Yeah. And I think the, like just on the digital ID, like bank account thing, I don't think nearly enough emphasis or recognition has been placed on like what happened with those truckers bank accounts even mm. like as psyopy and performative as all this stupid Kanye stuff has been lately, like again, like bank accounts, you're freezing bank accounts because of stuff people said or because they protested peacefully against the government. Like if you think China's bad, no, like it's, it's happening here. And yeah. And I like, we've seen them kind of uptake uptick at least on campus not so much in town but with the masks the past couple weeks like a lot of people have been wearing them to meetings and stuff and it it's still so disturbing to me but it's not really any different or you know maybe it's even not as bad as like the tech stuff like i i was reading one of my students like poems prose poems that he wrote um and it was it was actually a really cool piece, but it was really disturbing thinking about all of this stuff because it was written from, it was like through the lens of Snapchat. And it was all about like growing up in front of a Snapchat camera, right? Mm -hmm. And like this, and he wrote it from the perspective of Snapchat. Um, so Snapchat, like witnessing, you know, like puberty, growing a beard, Snapchat witnessing like his first girlfriend, Snapchat witnessing him like retake all these photos right out of like insecurity of how he looked, like stuff like that. And like it captured all of it. It captured his entire life, his entire upbringing, basically. That is scary. Like that's, that's just like another version of the mask, right? Talk about the Truman Show. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Carrey. Yeah, I think at this point, everyone in the world, most people in the world, have gotten a taste of, you know, like living under a state of an emergency. And, you know, I think seeding that memory it, it will be very important for, you know, the, the people who want to rule this world, you know, like who understand, you know, that scaring people, you know, making them scared of the world, of each other, uh, that is a powerful tool, you know, to, to drive fear into people. Um, and, and it infuriates me of, you know, again, these kids, right? Like um, 
because they know they're they're gonna be the ones who are gonna really live in this world. We are half in, half out. You know, we've we've experienced the world both ways, and so uh, these kids they don't know, you know, a world be beyond the iPhone. Most kids in school now, you know, uh, and and so it, it's just terrifying, right? And that's why it's so important, like you said, Libsyn, for those create those alternatives, you know, institutions, educational tools, things, you know, like of community, of socializing that are outside of all this tech normalcy, you know, that is more prevalent in, in cities, you know, it's still, it's everywhere, but it is more prevalent in cities. And, um, and so that's why it's no surprise to me when Jessica, you, you point out that rural areas tend to, you know, have more resistance. <laughs> And it makes sense, you know, they have a more of an, you know, a hold on reality, on, on the material reality of, of things, biology, you know, their own humanity, really, you know, not that it's perfect, but if anything, like to me, <laughs> that is what I, I need to look for, you know, like the more rural uh, type of way of living, you know, that it's scary for people trapped in the cities, honestly, because I just moved to a rural area and my life as even though I haven't been working, I've gotten support. I'm not going to pretend like I've done this alone, but my life, like I didn't realize how much of a trap, how trapped I was in my mind by just staying in San Francisco, you know, and, and, you know, like seeing buildings as, you know, like the horizon, you know, Instead of like the actual, you know, world and nature and, you know, the mountains. Uh, Quiet. Like, what is that? <laughs> you know, and, and, and again, it's not perfect because I think people understand this is going to go everywhere. It's going everywhere. You know, and I think that's the part, right? That's what we, we talk about class warfare, right? Because it is a war. This was a huge blow. And we have to recognize it as, as such, I think. Um, that is not the first one. It's not, it's probably the latest and biggest one, but you know, like and even this technological process as Jake has talked about, didn't start right, like right now, that didn't start with the iPhone, you know, but we do have to re-examine, right? Like our relationship to things because like technology is part of our lives. It's just like, like you asked in the other episode, Jessica, who benefits? What is the benefit? and who has control of it. So before we end, I I want to just, because this is the adopted city that I had, like, even though I went to, I went to school, like, obviously I feel more connected because of my family to Mexico and to the countryside. And I remember my long, long, long six months of being in Mexico and six months here and, and just my love of the river and my great grandfather's um, village, I still love San Francisco, and I feel this this attack on San Francisco from everybody. I just want to say, like, I I understand reasons. Like, I I also feel we've I've expressed the 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 difficulties it is to be in this city because of the liberal ideology and so much hypocrisy as we have just talked about. Like for example, all of the praising that went to China and suddenly all of the criticism that's going to China and who the like crap understands these people that like, but I, 
I have this affection for the city. I, I get what Kenny is saying. I get that. In Andy, you live in Oakland where you're kind of out there with two redwood trees. And, um, you know, it's like a beautiful part of where you, I, I visited your house. I know what it's like. You know, I envy you over there and I'm here packed in with other homes. And and I try to make a refuge here with my neighbors. Uh, but I... I I would love to go live somewhere isolated in, in Canada or in a rural part of Mexico. Unfortunately, I think it's being consumed up by like all this construction that's happening, trying to have this connection between Mexico City and the Yucatan so people can have tourists take this train. And I I just I just think the fight has to be done. Personally, me. I know that it could be a mental challenge and like it's a but the fight has to be done in with working class people that where cities are and this people come to the city right like they come here to find jobs and stuff and that's why i don't give up on public education and i've also the criticism on public education maybe i'm just an idealist in that like staying here in the city not letting it be overrun by more gentrification by more people who are trying to um overtake the city i understand it and also public education. I don't know why I feel so defensive about it. It's just my love for the real people that attend the public schools. And I, at the same time, I love what JD and Jay are doing, you know? And I wish that the kids and the families I work with would have that experience. I really do. I really, really do. And I, and if I, and if I leave SF, I feel as if I'm, I leave my community of neighbors and the people I've grown up here with and and they love how much, how weird I am and how I hand over produce for them. Like I just give them some of the, uh, the kale over to my neighbor. And, and it just feels to me like I would abandon them and I want to stay here and be the unvaccinated, you know, anarchist that's against covid lockdowns and still be here for them well i think we need soldiers everywhere so yes. i don't think you have been <laughs> staying <laughs> i will say long term i mean this gets into more of like the ecological deep deep green resistance type of vibes but like i don't like cities can't exist without like outsourcing all that labor and you yeah. know essentially stealing and, and exploiting resources and food supply and all that stuff from rural areas so i don't like long term i think they have to go but short yeah. term that's where a lot of people are and mm-hmm. like what we always come back to like nobody's dispensable like that's the that's the totalitarian oppressor mindset, right? It's like, oh, yeah, well, we can just experiment on these people and, you know, some of them will die. Most of them will get sick or have a reduced quality of life or whatever. And it's just collateral damage. But that's not our and position. Just to go yeah. back, you know, I, I love San Francisco as much uh, as you do, you know, in, in many ways. I've had so many memories there, but my, my, the people that I have deep connections with, with 
it's done. You know, like San Francisco for me, like, yeah. and I don't know if you want to include this, but you and your family have a home there. You know, my family is struggling to stay there. You know, we don't I understand. You know, and, and so I've been forced to migrate. That's the human yeah. history, right? Like, and, and, and the people that I see that rule the city, that overrun the city, that really have the, you know, more, like more connected to this system, right, that is taking over the world. You know, and, and there's that mentality that dominates the conversations. There is absolutely pockets of resistance. And, and you know, that's the po- community I was part of, and, and, you know, but even in those communities, a lot of those people that think they're doing well for their community, they're connected to that fucking matrix. And, and they, don't, they don't think they are, but they're deeply connected. And they're yeah, powerful on that. And so, you know, like, um, and at the end of the day, that's the, the other thing about fighting, right? Like, yes you have to fight and i will continue to fight but it's also my survival my immediate survival my sanity you know we all have to balance this stuff right and and so i I would love you know if i had a piece of 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 san francisco where i could stake my ground but i don't have that you know i've been bullied out well and what do you really love about it eduardo i mean it's the people it's the land itself. It's the community. It's not like the, the fact that it's a city like that. That is no, like a, yeah, you're right. I mean? yeah. Like, and and I agree. Like with you and and I mean all of us. Like we all have memories, and you know, for me, it's like probably Portland and New York, like those places, which ironically have been like, <laughs> you know, some of the biggest like liberal holdouts, like um, San Francisco. Like those still are magical places to me. Course, but not yeah. by nature of being cities it's because of like right. my life there right we've we've divested divested um digressed too much so let's get back on topic let's it's getting late it's 8 21 so um so i think that i don't have anything else to add to this on china and the protest does anyone else have something else to add that was a lovely discussion and thank you for suggesting it andy let's um conclude well that does it for this week's episode um what's left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left we post information about our topics and our guests in the episode notes wherever you found this episode or on our blog as what's left podcast.com right uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us uh, i remind folks if you like anything you have heard here please subscribe rate review turn on notifications to any of our platforms on itunes podcast Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. And you can find our blog and any of those links in the episode notes where we found this episode. Uh, if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or su- suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca. You can also find our social media handles as in, in the episode notes as at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZPKE on Instagram and Jess's uh, Twitter handle as jhomie89. Uh, Andy. Just to say, and I don't know if this is going to mean anything, currently we are not, this last episode we did is not showing up on iTunes and Spotify. I don't think it's a censorship thing. It seems like we have a problem with our feed, the blog feed that we're starting from. So I'm not sure what's going on, but that our last episode is not on iTunes or Spotify because it's not being updated somehow from the blog that I put it on that normally has been updating. So I don't know what's going on, um, but uh, if you are, hearing if you have come onto youtube i personally think the best way to like get to be able to listen to it instead of watch it 
is to get onto that what's left podcast.com. That's going to be the most reliable way. The most reliable way, right? Um, what's left podcast.com. Thanks. All right. Well, that concludes. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-hosts Jessica, Kenny Cepeda, and Andy Lipson. Uh, we'll check you all, or check us out, and we'll see you all later. Next time. Ciao.